millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello? Mama, look, look, I'm your host this evening, Emma Platt, and joining me is Clint Field. <laughs> say that right? Yes, you did. I hyped myself you. up so much to not say it wrong, and then my brain went, mm, no. <laughs> uh, so tonight, we are going to be talking the Babadook and the Borderlands. It's a bit of a horror special. The Babadook is a 2014 Australian-Canadian psychological horror film which was written and directed by Jennifer Kent in her directorial debut. It stars a grieving mother and her son who are tormented by an evil entity. Um, It had a very short limited release in Australia which didn't receive a lot of commercial success. However, after it was shown at the Sundance Film Festival and received critical acclaim, it was given a wider release. Did you get this? On the shelf. If it's in a word or it's in a look, you can't get rid of the Babadook. A rumbling sound, then three sharp knocks. That's when you'll know he's around. You'll see him if you look. This is what he wears on top. He's funny, don't you think? See him in your room at night. Mum, does it hurt the boy? Mum? Duke was released in a lot of magazines in the UK like Empire and Total Film were really hyping it up to be one of the scariest horror films of like the last 10 years or so but after I saw it I kind of got the feeling that it was marketed wrong because while it's it's scary it's not 
the typical type of scary that's popular in horror films these days. It's a lot. It is a lot more psychological. There's a lot more, a lot more layers to it. I I think. I think what interested me about the Babadook is that there are several ways you could possibly read the film. You could, of course, read it as the fact that the Babadook is a real entity tormenting this family. You could read it as it's a manifestation of the mother's grief and depression, or that the whole thing is just made up. There are some. There's not many jump out your skin moments. It's a. It's a much more a slow, slow burner in my eyes. Um, would you agree with that, Clint? Oh. Absolutely. But what I really liked with this one was that the slow burn was consistent. You know, I I felt like it was pretty consistently building towards something. Yeah, it was quite, um, it was really tense because it didn't let up. There was no kind of, okay, this this is okay, we're going to have a little break for this scene or whatever. It was constantly, even if it was almost like there in the background, because of especially with um, Amelia's kind of torment and her grief and the the friction she had with, like, you know, her friends and the people she worked with and her family. There was always that going on, you know, even if mm-hmm. the Babadook threat wasn't present at the time. There was that kind of tension, especially um, with his son, Sam, kind of wondering, what is he going to do next? You know, he's taking weapons into school, he's pushing kids out tree houses. There was always something going on to just kind of keep that nervousness. Yeah, and then didn't know if he like if he was in a fog after he was put on the tranquilizers after that i guess essentially a seizure <laughs> yeah when it first started and i was watching it it was kind of like i hate this kid this kid is typical annoying horror film father but obviously you straight away given the backstory of this child's lost his father before he ever knew him and you kind of get the sense that sam is really haunted by this ever presence of the ghost of his father because his mother won't let him celebrate his birthday and all that kind of thing it's it's you know, mm-hmm. this absent father is this huge figure in this film, especially because of the way Amelia has handled her grief. She's kind of stuck in this time warp, in this singular moment, the moment of the accident. It seems like she's never moved past that and she hasn't really bonded with her son. And that's what I thought found really interesting about this. It wasn't about the shocks and the scares and the jumps necessarily because there was a lot more behind it and a lot more to it. And... I think while a lot of films you could always say, oh, that was just a dream, or that was just made up, or the character's crazy, I think this kind of handled that possibility in a in a more realistic sense. Yeah, I can see that. I liked, I think the, it's the book showing up as well, you kind of, it kind of laid out what was going to happen. You know, Amelia was going to kill the dog, and then she was going to kill Sam, and then she was going to kill herself. So we had these kind of mm-hmm. moments that you knew the film was going to hit. And I think what I found really interesting was that the presence of this this figure, this entity, pushed her to to understand what was really important to her. You know, she'd already lost her husband and she'd been so depressed about it for so long, but now it was you could almost read it as losing her husband could cause her to lose her son, not just particularly because she wasn't a very involved mother or whatever, but she was going to be the reason that she lost her son, whether, you know, through somebody else getting involved, like there was social services involved with Sam at school, or whether she was actually going to kill him. And she needed to recognise herself as a threat in one way or another to stand up to this beast or whatever it was and take back that power. Yeah, definitely. And, I mean, there were even more subtle hints, 
you know, that really played into that as well. Like when I get, I guess you could call them the social workers when they stop by to talk to, you know, when they stop by to talk to Amelia about, you know, Sam not being in school, you know, and he had his little, you know, side comment and it's like, you know, I'm really tired from the drugs mommy gave me and, <laughs> you know, things like that. Just, you know, that are throwing up these big glaring red flags to, you know, anybody else around. And, and you know, Amelia is just like, you have no idea, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and I, th- I think the films did a really good job of, like, isolating Amelia, not just through her own, because I, I kind of... To me, the film is really about her grief and her depression, and not so. There's, it, there's an ambiguity about it, but she is so isolated because her own sister is kind of like, you should move on, you should forget about it. It was six years ago, but she's so isolated by this event in her past and her kind of weird son that there's no one for her to reach out to when these bad things try and happen. And even when she goes to the police, in typical horror movie fashion, they're just kind of like, nah. No, go home, go home, love, go home. So she's she's really isolated, and you get this really. I don't. I felt sorry for her, but at times I was also really frustrated by her, by the way she's like snapping at the child and almost like what happens could be. Mm, this is gonna sound really harsh, but it's almost her own making by creating this environment for her and her son and living in this really dark, horrible, oppressive environment, she invites in this this badness, this evil that then threatens her and her child. Yeah, and, you know, she was just... I mean, at that point, you know, she's essentially powerless and worn down. And, you know, because you got to keep in mind, too, uh, one of the recurring themes throughout the movie was her sleep deprivation, you know, that she hasn't for a long time, you know, been able to get one night of consistent sleep, you know, and, you know, if you think about the effects of the sleep deprivation, I mean, I know I'm, you know, pretty grumpy and quick to snap if I don't get enough sleep at night, (laughs) you know, (laughs) you know, and that's, that's just after one night. But, you know, when you magnify that, you know, to the extent that she had it on top of, you know, dealing with, you know, dealing with Sam and not knowing how to deal with him. You know, she's just completely at her wit's end. And, you know, I mean, I believed her when she was, you know, telling him, you know, well, like after that scene where, you know, he's trying to tell her, you know, mommy, I'm hungry. You know, can you make me something to eat? You know, and she's just like, just turns around and she's like, well, you can go and eat shit, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but when she goes into the room and she's like, you know, Mommy didn't know what she was saying, and, you know, I'm so sorry that wasn't me. I mean, I believe that. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it does. That kind of reminded me of the very early days of my son not sleeping through, and that kind of fog, that kind of just descends over you. You are just like, you are such a zombie. You're doing everything. Oh, baby needs to be fed. Baby needs a nappy change. Baby's asleep. Oh, no, I have to clean up. So I I think everyone's had those moments, but the film did such a good job of, like, I mean, the actor who plays Sam as well, his reaction to it. Like I said, there were times when I was like, this kid is so annoying. Like, he's a little brat. But then when he was like, all he wanted was for his mum to love him. And 
you kind of get the sense all the way through that she's not able to love him. She's not able to mother him because mm-hmm. because was what happened in the past. And I kind of like the ending as well. It's I really like that because it wasn't so much like she's defeated the evil and it's gone. It's more like she had controlled it and she had kind of put it in a safe place. Yeah, yeah. She wasn't necessarily able to destroy it, you know, but she was able to subdue it and, you know, being able to keep it at bay. But that was kind of something that there was something unsaid in that moment, you know, between, you know, when she basically takes back her house and, you know, when he, you know, when he gets locked and confined to the basement, you know, it's like, what kind of agreement did, you know, they have in that minute in between that all of a sudden, you know, this thing's able to live in the basement. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was like, I was like, okay, what did we not see? But I, I liked how they did it too, though, because, you know, especially toward the end when you get, you know, start seeing, you know, that a lot of the physical manifestation of it is, you know, reminiscent of the father. Yeah, and I thought you know, it was um, it was very telling that he's confined to the basements where all the father's things are kept as well. Although that was very like, you know, not I don't want to say symbolic, but I thought it was mm-hmm. a nice little kind of tying in to, and it, it I think it also gives credence to the whole. Well, it's a it, it's just a manifestation of her grief, but then that's almost too easy to say that that none of this happened and she was just going off a rocker because she hasn't slept and the kids driving her mad and all that kind of thing but I think if you almost look at it like the Babadook is a real thing and like I said by creating this environment she is allowed it in and it's fed off the almost energy of the father then to keep it in the basement with the father's things it's almost like I'm stepping away from that these things still exist I still have these memories I have his physical things but they are in the basement they are in the basement of my mind almost to put it a really cliche horrible way yeah yeah and i don't i don't know if you felt this way um but after watching it a second time because you know the first time i'd seen it was you know quite a while back but i was just re-watching it again last night and there's something still anticlimactic at the end you know because you know, she may have been able to essentially process her grief and move on in, you know, in that sense, but Sam's still really no closer to knowing his, you know, to really knowing the memory of his father, and he's still kept out of the basement, and, you know, still kept out of the memories, and... Yeah, no, I, I agree. It's, it's... I think she had built up a lot of Sam's life to be really rooted in this, the day you were born your dad died, and she's really made a lot of Sam's, who Sam is at such a young age, about this this ab- the absence of his father and why his father isn't there and all this, and you know, even maybe some sort of blame on her part, you know, if I hadn't had you, mm-hmm. we would not have gotten accident, but she has set this child up to be defined by this moment, and you kind of I mean, I know she has the birthday party for him on his actual birthday at the end, but like you said, there's so much is being said to Sam and done to Sam about his dad. And yet, like, she's just like, well, it's in the basement now. 
the Babadook's in the basement now, your dad's in the basement now. And that's all well and good for her, but this is her child. So it's kind of almost like you could... She's almost neglecting her child in that way by not telling him about his dad when he was a person instead of this memory. But I, I really, really enjoyed this film. I mean, it's it's so much different from a lot of the cheap shockers we get nowadays, you know, with just loads of gore and, you know, mutant zombie cannibals from nuclear waste and all that kind of thing. You know, it's there was actually some thought and some depth behind it, and I really, really liked that. I also like the aesthetic of it, almost gothic, but not too gothic, not like Guillermo del Toro gothic, but yeah, and I really, I really did like it, and I thought the actors were all really fantastic in it because they made me go to a I hate you, I like you, I want you to win, I hope you die kind of you know roller coaster. They weren't two dimensional, yeah. so I really, I really enjoyed this, and I know, um, and it was based on a short film called Monster, and apparently the director said they were they made Babadook pop up books to give out to the studios when they were shipping the script around. I don't know if that's true, but that is not a book I would want in my house, whether a tree alone or because that shit is freaky. Yeah, I heard it was part of. I heard the. I, I heard about the book thing too, but heard it was part of some kind of limited crowdfunding campaign or something, and because a lot of the money that that crowdfunding uh campaign raised uh from what i read went toward the um went, went toward like the art direction and you know th- things like that it went toward all of the artistic elements of the movie but I, I i honestly i mean you know unlike you i'd love to get my hands on a copy of that book yeah it's it's kind of one of those um, i mean books are they're really popular in horror for bringing about the bad crap, aren't they? I mean, you got mm-hmm. the Necrocomicon from, like, The Evil Dead, and even the, like, Cabin in the Woods and things like that. It's always a bad yeah. book. A bad old, dusty book, you know? I'm oh, su- yeah. I'm sure soon we'll see, like, a haunted e-reader or something, like a Kindle gone bad or something like that. It's the next logical step for crappy horror films, but... Yeah, well, th- you, you had that, uh... What was... What was the name of it? Uh, Unfriended? Oh, yeah. Or whatever, where it was like the ghost was like inside of the Skype call. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's just, uh, I mean, I mean, I love horror films, but I always say they are, they usually make the money back because people will constantly want to go see them. So it's, it's nice to see one with a bit of thought behind it. And it seems like a little bit more effort. It's not just shaky cam, go, you know. Ouija board and all that kind of thing. It mm-hmm. was it was nice and it kind of it created its own mythology, which I really liked. You know this whole Mr. Baba Duke thing, and even the way he looked, he reminded me a lot of um. I don't know if you've seen this in the it was a BBC series, The League of Gentlemen. There's a character called Papa Lazaro, and he was scary as hell, and he he reminds me a lot like that with the top hat and things like that. But he had a very memorable aesthetic, which is important for a you know a horror icon almost. Oh yeah, because the aesthetic of the, you know, of the antagonist is, it can, you know, it can totally make the movie, you know, totally make a movie, you know, you know, especially once you like nail down that definitive look, like, like Freddy Krueger from Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, it's has a very definitive look and, you know, you try to alter that and it just wouldn't. 
you know, it just wouldn't work, you know, which, you know, since they did try to remake that movie in 2010 and it just didn't work, <laughs> no, it's... you know, well, for men, for many reasons, but one, you just looked at, you know, Jackie Earl Haley at, at that point who played Freddy Krueger and you're just like, he's not Freddy. No. You know, like he does not look like Freddy Krueger, <laughs> you know? So yeah, it's, so yeah, no, you're right. I mean, a totally important element to these movies is nailing down that look. Yeah. And I think a lot of um, a lot of horror films nowadays don't put a lot of emphasis on the villain or their antagonist or the evil. It's just like I say, it's a lot of kind of just ghosts from a Ouija board or that kind of thing. There's no thought behind it. But like you said, Freddy Krueger, you don't even have to... I mean, you could just do the red and green jumper, the striped jumper, and people will go, Freddy Krueger. You don't necessarily even need the hat or the glove. You just need that one thing. But, you know, Michael Myers, you know, Jason Voorhees, all are you you've got that instant reckon reckon recognition. That's what I meant. I nearly said recognizability. That's <laughs> 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 where that came from. But yeah, and I think this this had that as well, which was really good. It wasn't just and you didn't you only got like glimpses of the Babadook. They didn't overshow it. They didn't like push it like, oh look, it's the Babadook, look at it, look at it, look at it. They really used it effectively. And I think that also helped the creepy element. Oh yeah, you know we we were kind of touching on this a little bit ago, but with all of the, you know, aesthetic of the movie and not having to rely on a lot of the gore and you know the jump scares and things like that, um, one of the things that I loved, you know, this little piece of trivia uh, that I had read and then when I watched the movie again, I was like, yeah, they did do that. It's like minus the dog all people that were alive at the beginning of the movie were still alive at the end. So, like, no people actually died in this movie. God, I, I completely forgot that as well. Like, it, that's... To think a horror film didn't kill anyone off and was still scary and tense, that's bloody unheard of these days. That's, that's quite fascinating. Yeah, it's brilliant. <laughs> it was... I really, I really did enjoy it, and I don't know many people who I've spoken to who've seen it who didn't like it. I'm not going to say it's like a special little film, because I nearly did for some goddamn reason. But it's definitely the type of horror film I'd like to see more of in the future instead oh, absolutely. of, you know, the endless, you know, Paranormal Activity sequels and Insidious and that kind of thing. Because after a while, it's just not not effective anymore because you get to know the way you get to know the film's formula and the way the film works and if they change that formula with every sequel then people will just get pissed off because people like to know what's going on you know the killer's going to get defeated at the end and all that kind of thing but I really did enjoy it and hopefully we will see more of this type of film in the future Um, so the next film for tonight, the next picked flick, is 2013's The Borderlands. It is a British found footage horror film, and the feature film directorial debut of Elliot Goldner, who also wrote the movie script. It is about a priest, a deacon, a Scottish priest and a paranormal investigator, known for his scepticism, who helps debunk claims of paranormal events. He's hired by the Vatican to investigate a secluded church in the English countryside that is rumoured to be the site of a miracle. He is joined in his investigation by technology expert Gray and the fellow minister Mark. This 
Yeah, what's this fella here? Yeah. He looks like an agreeable local bumpkin type. Hi, uh, can you tell us where the church is, Randy? Yeah, like, you know, it's a big pointy building with a spire on top. Please be quiet. Now we're going to examine the altar. And here's the crucifix. Must cross-check crucifix against video footage. Deacon, what we saw up there was not normal. Was not normal. As I was walking down by the Royal I was like, for 20 minutes, I was like, this is, this is awful. This is, what the hell is going on? But mm-hmm. after those 20 minutes, it was like a completely different film. It was not what I was expecting at all. I gotta say, it was better than I was expecting. But yeah, it it took a while to really pick up and find its, you know, and find its foothold in its setting. Because like, even when I mess, you know, like uh, messaged you guys er- earlier, I was like, "Man, this movie is so slow." <laughs> yeah, it really you know, but, was. But yeah, that you know that it was like maybe five ten minutes after I said that, I'm like, you know, it starts picking up. I'm like, "Ooh, this is intriguing." <laughs> yeah, you get have certain expectations from it because it's fan footage and it's ooh a haunted church and that kind of thing. But it does not go down the route that you think it's going to go down. Mm-hmm. I mean, when the the sheep was on fire, I was just like, what the hell? I was like, what the hell is that noise? And then I was just like, oh my, like completely horrified by the fact that was there was a bleeding sheep on fire. I think that freaked me mm-hmm. out more than anything else in the film. Yeah, I felt so bad for that sheep. <laughs> yeah. It's a really hard film to describe because you have all these like, I was thought it was going to be like the, um, I think it was called, oh, was it called The Right with Anthony Hopkins a couple of years ago? And then you've got like the, oh, what the hell? There's another film and I completely forgot the name. I think it's like an American. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. 
At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. No, something like that, where it's all about, like, priests and exorcisms and all this kind of thing. And it doesn't... It, it's nothing like any of those films. And I like the fact there was, like, the Vatican elements in it. Like, it wasn't just like, no, the church says none of these things exist. It was kind of like, okay, well, this is our official stance on it, but maybe check this out just in case mm-hmm. something is going on. And when you see the first video, and he's like, this is what happened, it's such like, you know, there's noises, and then the candle moves, and then he thinks it's God, and you're like, that's such a, you know, that's not necessarily a big deal. But then it just keeps getting weirder and weirder and like when he hears those, I think Gray, he hears noises outside, and he goes out and touches the crypt. I was like, mm-hmm. it's it's broad daylight. These things don't happen in broad daylight in a horror film. They wait till the sun sets. Yeah, and then you know, and then they go and they throw something completely different in there. You know, when they throw in the dog, and <laughs> yeah. you know, because he he rounds the corner, and all of a sudden there's just this like angry dog standing there, <laughs> and it's like. It's like, where the hell did this thing come from? <laughs> yeah. But that kind of like, it almost felt like a throwback to like, uh, you know, The Omen or that kind of film where there's always, yes. the, well, I can't remember the, the, late, the, the nanny in The Omen's got these big two dogs, hasn't she? And it was, it kind of like, I think plays on a couple of little things like that. But I mean, what made me uncomfortable, and it always does in films nowadays, is the kind of whole baby sacrifice. I was just like, oh, mm-hmm. if, I'd kn- if I'd known this had been and baby sacrifice had been an element of this film beforehand, I probably would not have watched it because that just makes me really uncomfortable now. I'm such a wimp mm-hmm. with things like that. And it wasn't just that, it was like the crying as well. And I was thinking, that's not a child crying, that's an actual tiny baby cry. And that made me really uncomfortable. Like, it just... Oh, the only way I can describe yeah. it, it's like, it's like it made my teeth itch. It was like this, I can't quite... My brain can't really process all of this information. And then I think, you know, they brought in, like, the the elderly priest came in, um, Father, what's his name, Calvino, and they were like, oh, we're going to bless this church. But they don't really, they kind of don't really know what's going on even then at this point. I mean, they find that book, and the book where he's saying, like, you know, I think I work for him now, and he is everywhere, and you need to get out of this town... You still don't kind of get a real sense as to what is actually going on. So, like, near enough, quite near the end. And then it all falls into place. And the ending. If anyone had guessed the ending of this film, I I think I'd die of shock. Because there is no way in hell I would have ever guessed the ending of this film. Yeah, me either. You know, I mean, you know, from the point that, you know, they're looking down there and, you know, they 
they find that writing on the wall that's like, you know, forgive me and look after them. I serve a new master now. And I was like, yep, that totally tied to the book. Yeah. You know, that they found. and. But I wasn't, and I'm sorry, if you haven't seen this film, you want to pause this podcast now and go watch it because I'm about to talk about the ending. If you had told me that the church was going to eat them, I wouldn't have believed you. It was so... Like, but it wasn't like, you could almost, if you say to someone, oh yeah, and at the end, the church eats them, they probably laugh, but it's not, it's done in such a way that it's not like comical, and even though it's shocking, mm-hmm. they kind of handle it quite well. I mean, there's no no big mouth or anything like that, or tentacles, there's just acid and enzymes and things like that, and it's so weird, but it's it's memorable as well, it's that kind of thing that you'll always remember, it's, oh, that film where the church eats those people at the end. yeah. Yeah, it's just one of those things where you're like, hey, I did not expect that. <laughs> you know, and it, it, it kind of reminded me of Cabin in the Woods or Drag Me to Hell or yeah. something where all of a sudden it looks like everything's done, like they're about to, you know, get their answers or be able to walk away from this. And all of a sudden the demon, like the, the demon lord hand comes up and just grabs them down <laughs> or something. And it's like. Holy shit, where did you come from? <laughs> yeah, it's so out of left field, but I, in, I I can see why some people would absolutely hate the ending. But I really enjoyed it because I was like, I have never seen it played like this before. I've never seen it played out like this before. You know, the church didn't collapse and there wasn't a big portal and that kind of thing. It was like, the church ate them. <laughs> like, yeah. and then, but then you kind of like, I think you if you look back at it, you can almost see like this pagan deity it wasn't just worshipped on this site it was like physically there and it's now like it it is the church like and i don't know that kind of made it in some ways it sounds completely daft but it's almost scarier because like what can you do about like an actual living demon pagan church (laughs) nothing and the way like all the townspeople they talk to when they're going up to the church are all just like not interacting with them or anything they're all complicit in what's going on but what are they getting out of it is the is this deity protecting them have they got like you know you will have bountiful crops and all that kind of thing like i like the fact there was a little bit no one came out and said haha we made a deal with this god 500 years ago and we sacrifice our firstborns with every fourth spring and we get this it was just like meh <laughs> you know it was kind of just left well this is what it is and we don't know why oh yeah yeah and i mean you know there there were strings of movies you know back in like the 80s even early 90s where you know you essentially have sort of the the house that be- becomes alive <laughs> mm. you know and is trying to like the house itself is trying to kill you or something you know but i think that's what i liked and was able to appreciate with this movie because it didn't feel like it's been done before you know i mean yeah it at first you know when it's starting to move really slowly and everything it's like okay you've got the whole shaky cam kind of experience you know and everybody investigating this you know haunted house and everything but then you don't expect it to to be this church especially when you think okay the you know the church of any house on earth 
or of any <laughs> building on Earth, this should be like the most like divinely protected. Yeah. You know, and, thing like nothing should be able to take over the church. Yeah, and I mean, there's a lot of films with like you know, like vampires and things where people go, no, we have to get on sacred grounds, and they can't cross that line, and it's always a church they go to. And I think if you like, you were saying, you know, this is meant to be like a protected space, and it's not. There's this kind of ancient evil lurking there. Then what does that say about like God? Has is is there no God? Is that the way these people worship it? Is God abandoned this site? Is it just so bad that there is no longer a Lord to protect it? And I thought it was interesting that you know this is a different religion, God, and the Catholic religion had no power over it. They tried to purify it, and it didn't work. Mm-hmm. And that was a really interesting element because obviously you've got things like the Exorcist and the Omen series and even Rosemary's Baby where like Catholicism is rooted in it because of the subject matter. But it was really interesting to see, not like the, the, that it was powerless in this sense, but that this was just like something really dark and primordial and just something like totally adjacent to the religion everybody was, especially because, you know, the characters from the Vatican and that's who they work for. And it was nice to see them come up against something that they necessarily didn't understand because it wasn't really it wasn't something that you know it's obviously not something that anybody would expect but you know because it was rooted in like Catholicism and the Vatican and that kind of thing to see it be something different it's not a demon it's not the devil it's this that was a really good like left field turn oh yeah and something that I thought was you know was was interesting and having you know, even a background and kind of reading a little bit on uh, things like this. You know, w- when you're looking at the, the the tension between Deacon and Mark, you know, and Mark's just pretty much, you know, hey, I, I'm going to see to it that you, you know, you never work at, you know, at this again and, you know, things like that. It's like you see that so much of the... Well, I guess the Catholicism, you know, when you look at the the structure and everything, it's almost not so much like like the religious organization, like body of Christ, so to speak, but, you know, just still more an organization of men, mm. you know, yeah. and you look at it and it's like, okay, you know, or, you know, but and because it is. You know, there's you know, there's that old you know saying, a passage and whatnot, that a house divided against itself will fall. Mm. I think in some ways this is more interesting than the Baba, than the Baba Duke, but it's mm. also a completely different. It's, it's just, it's a bit batshit mental. <laughs> it's like that ending. It's just, it's not something I can wrap my head around quite yet because I only really watch it this afternoon, but. It's just so different, and I think that I think it was really good that they did that because it's you know it's a found footage film about a haunted church. You know, it's nothing that hasn't been done before, and that ending really helps elevate it past that. Yeah, it definitely does. You know, it's kind of funny that we got to really watch and examine these two movies specifically together because it really brings up, you know, 
modern horror and its examples of, you know, modern horror that's actually working. <laughs> yeah, and I think if we move on to talk about modern horror, I mean, a lot of academics say that modern horror started in 1968 when the Hayes Code was repelled and we had Rosemary's Baby and Night of the Living Dead. But if we talk about more recent horror, because every... You know, every decade has kind of got its its thing. It's, you know, what's mm-hmm. popular, what's not. And I think being in 2016, we can't quite see the trend right now. But we can see what's been popular and what's come out. And I think more so, the you know, the first six years of this decade, we've had, like, the Paranormal Activities films. And, you know, last decade we had, you know... Was it seven Saw films or six Saw films? There you know? were there were seven, and now they're talking about like either an eighth or they're planning to reboot it. I forget exactly which, but you know, I I, I heard that they do want to work on another Saw. Yeah, and then then we've had like there'll be is it three Insidious films, two Conjuring films. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm probably missing out about a thousand other films that they've made quick sequels of and I think horror in the last 10-15 years probably a bit longer has just been about rehashing we've had so many so many remakes and reboots and prequels and sequels I mean I can't even keep up with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre timeline anymore because I think I've, I've seen a prequel and then I saw another prequel which wasn't anything to do with the first prequel and then a couple of sequels and then a remake and then before that, we had like the whole the J horror influx, where there was the remake of The Ring and The Grudge and Pulse and The Eye, and when something they do make something like that something that's new and popular, like Paranormal Activity, then they're so eager to keep repeating the success. And I think I don't know. I wonder if when they make a horror film now, do they automatically have it in mind as a franchise? Like that's something I, I often wonder because. I mean, with these two films, I don't. You couldn't really make a sequel. Same with Cabin in the Woods. I remember there was an interview with the director, and he said, like, at a fan convention, someone said, "Are you going to make a film, a sequel?" And he was like, "Did you see the ending?" Like, so even when you've got yeah. an ending like that, people are still asking. And I wonder if that's got a lot to do with that people don't want to see anything original, which is a wider problem in Hollywood at the minute. Or if the studios aren't just willing to put the money down for original things, because like you said, the Baba Duke had, you know, cro- what's it called? Cro- Basically, no body count. You <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, yeah, things like that. I mean, I think ugh, executive seat horror film automatically means a couple of things. Mm-hmm. It means blood, go- guts, just violence, and maybe some pretty girl getting her boobs out. And these films had like neither of those things in really and like you said Baba Duke no one died <laughs> it's, so, it's so strange to say oh it's a horror film but no one dies isn't it? but I mean obviously it, it's not neither of these films are formulaic you kind of you don't I mean like we, we've just said you could not have guessed the ending of the Borderlands in a million years anyone who says they did is a liar or a psychic because mm-hmm. there is no way you could have thought of that but I mean, I don't know. What what do you think about the state of modern horror in general? For one, I think Hollywood is really afraid to take a chance. You know, that's why a lot of the movies like these two, you know, didn't have very 
like widespread worldwide releases and I mean I can't think of a single theater where you know at least here in the states where I would have been able to see the Baba Duke mm. you know which I gladly would have liked to see on a big screen <laughs> you know yeah I mean but... when that came out I mean there's one two three four there's five cinemas in like the Liverpool area and it was only the really big multiplex that was showing it and it was only on one showing at nine o'clock oh, wow. of a night and that was it even we've got an independent cinema in Liverpool and they weren't showing it it was just the big multiplex so and I remember when um, The Mist came out back in 2008 mm-hmm. me and my brother had to travel outside of Liverpool to watch it because nowhere was showing it in Liverpool oh, wow. which and you think that's kind of shocking considering the cinema in our city centre has got 14 screens and that wasn't showing. It's a bit... And the thing oh, is, which is surprising. I love I loved The Mist, by the way. <laughs> I, I adore that film. That ending, though, depressed me for about a week and a half straight. I just oh, couldn't yeah. stop thinking about it. I, and even, the... I even read the book recently, um, like the novella for it. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, yeah, e- even Stephen King later went back and said... You know, this is the mo- This is the ending I should have written. Yeah, I've read that. I've, I've read that, and apparently they're making a mini series of it now. Yeah. So which that'll be interesting. Um, but see, that's another thing. They, they made the movie, and now they're making a mini series out of it, which is it's it's good in some sense, but it goes back to that nothing new kind of thing. And the thing is, I mean, I worked in the cinema for five years, and every time there was a horror film on, I could guarantee Mon- Friday, Saturday night, it would be absolutely packed with. Children who were too young to be legally going to see it. Mm-hmm. But it would be completely sold out. And it didn't matter if it was something like, you know, the Chernobyl Diaries or if it was Saw 7 or whatever. It was always full. Especially if we had them on, like, midnight screens around Halloween. People loved horror films. And yep. they would flock to see them. So the I think, I mean, during the, the research I've been doing for my thesis, I've only found one horror film that hasn't at least made its budget back, and that was Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3. The usual, because they've usually got such small budgets that they will make the money back pretty easily. And, you know, if you remember back to, like, um, The Evil Dead when that was made, they pretty much made that themselves, you know, of a weekend, yeah. just... And I know there was a film came out a couple of years ago, I think it was called Colin, and it's a zombie film, and I'm pretty sure they made that for £45. Wow. So, but at the same time, you know, how many other people are making horror films in their back garden that no one's paying attention to? But how, then you think, you know, we've got Kickstart and all that now. Are we going to see a new wave of horror in the next couple of years? Really original stuff from people who don't necessarily need to go down the studio route to get the funding anymore because other people will fund them. There's other avenues now. Is this going to ho- open a whole new you know, thing for us as horror fans? I don't know, but I'm definitely hopeful because, I mean, when you look at movies like, you know, The Babadook and, you know, like The Borderlands and, you know, just even thinking of another movie that I recently watched called The Visit, uh, which was, I don't know if you've seen it, it was and uh, it was actually directed by M. Night Shyamalan and it had to do with those two kids that went yeah. to spend the week at their grandparents' house. Yeah, yeah. 
oh man, that movie was so much better than I expected it to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I kind of had my expectations lowered because it was M. Night Shyamalan. Yeah. But it was really... Uh, but but when he I f- did really well with it. And it was one of his lowest budget films, actually. You know, if we want to start, you know, mentioning, like, the money side of it. You know, because it, it, it was made for just under $5 million, and Just nothing, is it really, these yeah, days? Yeah, and... They said that opening weekend, at least in the you know, at least in the states alone, it made over twenty five point four million. So I mean, it made its money back opening weekend. I mean, when I think about, I was, you know, talking to my brother and asking, you know, what's your been your favorite horror film like the last couple of years, and he couldn't name one. And I said, well, I really like Cabin in the Woods, and he was like, well, Cabin in the Woods isn't really horror, and I was just like, how is it not horror? But I also liked, I know I've just like slagged off remakes, but I really liked the Evil Dead remake because it felt very true to the spirit of the original without directly ripping it off. Yeah. You know, shot for shot. I really, really liked that. It can't, because when I watched Evil Dead, the first one, I'd already heard all this hype about how it was almost banned in the UK for being a video nasty, and I was like, oh, this is going to be really gory. But to me watching it in like the early 2000s, it wasn't. But I felt like the remake really embodied that spirit of, like, not slapstick, but that level of gore and kind of splatter, do you know? It yeah. really, I really enjoyed it. And, I mean, don't get me wrong, if they start remaking, like, Jaws or Rosemary's Baby, I think I'll cry. Because some things are just, you know, they should just be left alone. But then people can get it right. I just want to know what's going to happen next with horror. Are we going to keep having these... Are we stuck in a cycle now of remakes and sequels and prequels and 3D and D-box seats and all that kind of thing with the occasional little gem? Or are we going to finally have a move towards more originality? Because imagine if George Romero hadn't got the money back for Night of the Living Dead. You know, he produced that mostly on his own. He kind of raised the funds for that as much as he could back in 1968. It revolutionised the zombie genre, so... Give people a chance. That's what I say. Let's just just go out and get a camera with your friends and just make up something and then stick it on YouTube and you never know. Let's have a bit more originality. That's what I say. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, we're already proving that, you know, that it's it's working. You know, and I think more and more people, when you see more independent films like this coming out or... You know, even on a different scale, like podcasts, you know, even people want to get into some type of broadcasting, you know, but, you know, don't want to just follow the same old standard radio formula and whatnot. You know, they can go out and they can go and put out their own original content, you know, so I think that, you know, I think it's going to take a few years for it to really materialize, but I think we are going to start seeing more original ideas, and I think there is going to be sort of a resurgence in original horror. Now, unfortunately, we're still going to have people out there that, you know, want to just remake what's already been done, um, you know, like we've had, you know, in the past decade or so all of those remakes of the Japanese horror films, like One Missed Call or The Grudge or The Ring. Yeah. Stuff like that is still going to be there, but once you start grabbing more 
original ideas like the Duke that, you know, break a number of the conventions. I mean, nobody got naked, nobody died. <laughs> you know, it was, you know, and like you were saying, it didn't have all of this gore and everything. And so much of it was in our minds, you know, or something that, you know, people can go out, you know, completely out of left field like we saw with, you know, the Borderlands. You know, with, you know, this living church, you know, it's like, I think that people are going to start catching on. And I think that, I think we are going to see it, but it's still going to be at least a few years down the road before we do. Yeah, I agree. So maybe in a few years, we'll come back and have the same conversation and see where we are then. (laughs) Oh, gladly. That's all we've got time for tonight. I would like to thank Clint for coming on and being my guest. I had a really good time discussing horror tonight. Yeah, this was a blast. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm glad we were able to, you know, to make it happen. Yeah, and if you want to tell people where they can find you online, Clint? Oh, sure. Uh, well, I am I'm the host of the Geek Dig podcast, and I'm also co-hosts of the Green Up Gaming Podcast and the Geek Up and Go Podcasts, um, all of which you can find on iTunes and Stitcher. Um, for Geek Dig Pod, our website is uh, www.geekdigpod.com. You can always email at geekdigpod at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter there at geekdigpod. Um, or for uh, Green Up, if you want to get your game on, uh, that's at greenuppodcast.com or at greenuppodcast on Twitter. And for Geek Up and Go, uh, you can pretty much right now hit us up at Geek Up and Go on Twitter. Geek Up and Go, the website's still under construction, but if you go there, you get to see a really pretty logo that I had nothing to do with designing. <laughs> uh, you can follow us on Twitter at PickAFlickPod. We are available on iTunes, iTunes, Acast, and Stitcher. We are also available on the website, blackholepodcast.com. You can follow me on Twitter, if you wish, at Crushinator2, but all I do is tweet about wrestling, so probably not. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter, at DeadMeatHorror. We haven't done an episode in a while, but hopefully episode two on Final Gale Theory will be edited by the end of the week, and look out for more Dead Meat in the future. Uh, so, once again, I'd like to thank Clint for this evening, and it's been nice to be back on the podcast. And see you again soon. Bye. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.